Hey guys, how are we doing tonight? Are we good? Amazing, I like that. Can anyone beat amazing? Yeah? Incredible. Incredible is a bit of a Christian word, eh? We throw that around a lot. Incredible. Awesome. Tremendous. Nice. Um, hey, it's great to be here tonight. And um, I just want to shout out really quickly Asher and Mackenzie because I just think you guys were incredible leading worship. Um, this is Asher's like, something like three or four times really that you've led here. And you're just killing it, bro. You're amazing. You're amazing. Anyway, love you, bro. Um, are we all doing well tonight? Yeah. Who came ready to hear the words? Um, I'll be real, I wasn't sure if I was going to preach tonight because uh, I said yes last week, um, but then I was really praying and hoping that my wife would have her baby. Um, not because I wanted to get out of preaching, but just because I really, really um, want to have a baby. Um, I know, right? Life's about to change forever. Um, but actually, you know, Amy is my hero because she has been an absolute star through this whole pregnancy. So I just thought I'd um, I'd tell tell you guys that. Um, but I will also throw her under the bus. A few months ago, she she uh, picked up a bunch of laundry and she went to put it in the laundry basket, but instead put it in the rubbish bin. That pregnancy brain fog, eh? Is that all good, Amy? My old clothes. <laughs> yeah, 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 literally. Uh, hey, um, we're, we're starting a series. We've been doing a series on Colossians. And uh, Gideon brought a word last week on Colossians 1. And it was in true Gideon style. It was about our identity in Christ, which is what I love about you, man. You just you always preach Jesus. We always preach the Bible. It's something that we do here at Harmony. We preach the Bible. Um, but one thing that Gideon said, which I loved, was that it's not about performing, but it's about yielding. You know, we don't have to try. We don't have to strive. We can simply rest and yield to the call of God on our lives and to who He's called us to be. I just thought that was such a good word. And then even this morning, um, Christ in us, the hope of glory. Um, this was all in here. You can catch it online if you want as well. Um, but so we're going to be carrying on with Colossians tonight. We're going to be working our way through the text. Um, who brought their Bibles? Give me your hands if you got. Oh, guys. Hands up if it's your phone. Oh, okay. <laughs> if this is the morning service, I feel like it would be very different, eh? But hey, we're going to be working our way through Colossians, and, and it's a little bit different tonight. What we're doing is, um, I've said this before, this is exegetical preaching. This is when we are pulling, pulling meaning from the Bible, from the text. This is, this is uh, contrary to eisegetical preaching, which is where we come to the Word with an idea and we try find scriptures and things to back up what we're trying to say. So tonight, we're simply we're going to the Bible and we're saying, what does the Word say? Let's apply it to our lives. Um, is that cool? I love this style of preaching because um, I've been in church many, many years. Um, and something I've learned is, you know, TED Talks won't save people from going to hell. Is that true? Fancy words, pretty lights, they're not going to bring people to Jesus. They might help. I thought it was pretty cool tonight, all the lights and everything that's going on, even the new lights that we have hung up. Shot Johnny. Um, 
But Jesus has and he always will be the way to salvation. And so we're reading about him and his standard of living in this book. And, uh, you know, the thing I love about Colossians is that Paul, who wrote this book, he was in prison when he wrote this. And uh, the first two chapters of Colossians, it speaks of the supremacy of Christ, right? How big God is, how great he is. And then the last two chapters, it speaks on submission to Christ. So first two, why of the faith? Why do we believe? Why is Jesus worth following? And the last two, how do we live out our faith? What does, a, what does a life of submission to Jesus look like? Look like, And, uh, you know, a life of submission to Christ is something that Paul knew really well. Um, Paul actually grew up, remember Paul was originally Saul, and he grew up a Jew. He was a Pharisee even. And so he would have spent his whole, you know, youth, even his young adult years, sitting under a rabbi, learning the word of God to an absolute T. And we know that he was so jealous for the Mosaic law that he even killed Christians because of it. You know, Stephen the martyr was killed because of Saul. Yet this is the same guy who became Paul, and he writes two-thirds of the New Testament. What a story of redemption, eh? But this guy, he knew what it was to live a life of devotion to God. And so in this letter, here's some context. He's writing to all the heresy that's running rampant in the church at the time. People are flaky. People are living double lives. If you don't believe me, go and, go and have a look at the text. It says that they're even worshipping angels. And the people are syncretists. And what that means is that they're blending two or three or more religions together and you know, trying to live a certain way, trying to earn um, their righteousness. And like we discovered in the book of 1 John a few months back, who was here for the 1 John series? I loved that, man. It was so good. Um, one of the big uh, heresies in the church then was Gnosticism. And Gnosticism comes from the Greek word knowledge. It means uh, These guys thought that they had a truth that no one else had. I'm just giving you guys context tonight before we dive in. They believed Jesus was all spirit and didn't come in the flesh. The dilemma for the Gnostics was, since matter is evil, how can one avoid its terrible influence? You can't. So you just give in. And you just do whatever you want, whatever goes, you know? And so these guys, I call it, gave them an unrestrained license to do whatever they want, live whatever way they wanted with no fear of consequence. And this is why Paul wrote the letter. Because Paul knew what it, what it meant to live a life devoted to Christ. You know, when we give our life to Jesus, we're not just... You know, inviting him into our heart. It's sometimes a cute little prayer we say, we invite you into our heart, Jesus. It's a great prayer. But, you know, sometimes it's, it's much more than that. We're actually surrendering our whole being to him. We're saying, we make you Lord of our life. Our thinking, our attitudes, our heart, our mind, our emotions, our insecurities, our failures, all of it. I give it to you. I give you my whole life. And then it's all laid at the cross where he paid for it once and for all. And so the people of Colossians are living a lesser standard than what they're called to. So here's Paul. He's writing this letter. And I want to um, start in Colossians 1 verses 15 to 18 because Gideon only got 14 verses in last week. I think he just got a little bit excited in the text. Eh? You're, just, you're just buzzing. I love it. Um, and like Gideon said this morning, listen to how many times the word all is used, all right? 
all. Everyone say all. all. Nice. Say it like an American. All. all. Nice. Okay. We got it. So Colossians 1, 15 to 18. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. <laughs> For in Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn among the dead, so that in Him everything, so that in everything He might have the supremacy, or in some versions that He might be preeminent. You know, Paul is writing the Scripture, and he's endorsing the preeminence of Jesus and that simply means that Jesus is above all things. Jesus is first. The Jesus that like it says created all things. We put him first. Man, I wonder if he's your all tonight. Is he my all? Power pause. I think Paul's getting a little sick of how these churches, you know, they come along and they just do church, and then they carry on, go back to their way of living, not allowing the word and the power of Jesus to truly transform their lives. And I think the church is in such an interesting moment of time right now. If I could speak maybe to a little bit of um, culture right now. I don't believe right now that we really know what it means to make Jesus the head the first, the most important thing in our lives, the all, like Paul is talking about. I don't know, maybe two years of COVID, the uncertainty, the stopping and the starting has thrown people over the edge. I don't know. And, you know, I don't want to diminish what people have experienced these last couple of years. And I, I know all too well the mental toll that it can have. But like Paul says later on in the Scripture, Christ Jesus, the hope of glory. Where do we find our hope? Christ Jesus. Christ in us, the hope of glory. You know, I want to put Jesus first, but, you know, work's just a little bit hectic at the moment. Or I've got my injury. Maybe I don't like the, the translation of the Bible I'm reading. I'm spending too many hours studying. My gaming's just too much fun. But how is it that we as eternal beings struggle to put Jesus first, that we give in to the culture and the temptations around us? If you look through history, you, you see this pattern and a trend emerge where people want to live autonomously, which is that they want the, the right to govern themselves, to self-govern. I don't want to be told how to live my life. And uh, we're, we're led to believe that all truth is subjective. You've got your truth, I've got my truth. Um, even the truth of the Word of God can be subjective. Do you know, get this, once upon a time, I said this to Catherine the other night, the Word of God was our code of conduct. How we lived our life was based on the Word of God. And if you track through history, we might go through a little bit of history tonight, you see how the church has been disempowered, how we've diminished the supremacy of Christ and even more sadly, how we have given up our higher standard of living to appease the culture around us. And so this is the reason that Paul writes the letter. 
That's one of the reasons that the apostles, they banded together to write the creeds. You guys heard the creeds, I believe in God, the Father, the Son, Almighty Maker of heaven and earth. Jesus Christ is only begotten Son, carries on. Flex. You know, these church leaders, they gathered together, they collated the Word of God, and they wrote the creeds. These are documents that have been some foundational theology for how us Christians live our lives. They put Jesus as the very center point of our existence, just like Paul is doing in this text. He's our reason for living. I tell you, when you know Jesus, when you truly know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, nothing else can come first. I might say it differently. Nothing else is worth coming first. And you know, for hundreds of years, the Word of God was the leading authority on how we should live our lives. Did you know not long after Jesus left the earth, the church, capital C, was in charge, in charge of upholding the standard on how we should live our lives. Yeah. Intellectual and political authority came from religion and came from our fundamental beliefs from what we read in the Bible. I told you we're going into some history. The Roman Catholic Church for hundreds of years was head of state in Europe. So even the king would consult the religious authorities, the Pope, on how to rule and how to live. What is the biblical standard of living? Does this mean they always got it right? No. (laughs) Is this even a healthy model? Church ruling? I don't know. It's a contentious topic, that one. Because like in any institution where there's people involved, you know, people make mistakes. Flick on the tally. You know, the church is being attacked right now and has for the last six months a year because people make mistakes. And we see this in the history of church where power is abused, where war is waged, where innocents suffer in the name of glory and of titles. The Dark Ages, 900 years of European history marked by famine, war, struggle and so on. And with this imbalance of power, people sought to remove Jesus from his rightful throne and to place it in their own hands. Or the Age of Enlightenment, if you've heard of that. The philosophical movement of the 17th century marked by a rejection of traditional, social, religious and political ideas with a huge emphasis on rationalism. Meaning, I think, therefore I am. Not the Bible says, or not Jesus said. I think, therefore I am. And we see this use and celebration of reason It became about self-improvement. The goals of humanity were considered to be knowledge, freedom, and happiness. What happened to laying down our life for our brother? Picking up our cross. Track further in history, modernism in 1900. Defined as a time when artists and thinkers rebelled against every conceivable doctrine that was accepted widely by the establishment. At the core of modernism lay the idea that the world had to be fundamentally rethought. Rather than pointing towards the historical existence of Jesus, the truth of his word, modernist thinking told that justification for the faith is to be found if we all turn inward, if we all look inside. What's your personal experience tell you? And this was another huge step in secularizing culture and moving away from a belief in in God. 
And so we see through history, we see individuals are taught that they have the right to self-rule, to self-govern. And if they want to find the truth, you only need to look inward. Last one, postmodernism in the 1970s and 80s. It became known as the designer decade. It was characterized by vivid color. When I hear vivid color, I just think Abby Somalu. Look at that pink outfit tonight. You're rocking that girl. It's characterized by vivid color, theatricality, exaggeration. Everything was a style statement. Where the surfaces were glossy, faked, or deliberately distressed, they reflected the desire to combine subversive statements with commercial appeal. What does this matter? In the 21st century, we're feeling its effects today. It gave us a new way of looking at the world that holds. We are told and encouraged to embrace the different. We celebrate different. We celebrate homosexuality. We celebrate the use of drugs and excessive alcohol. People blur the lines of right and wrong. We celebrate all kinds of things that go against the biblical standard of living. There's no longer a Christian worldview around anymore. We're no longer the home team, if I could say that. We no longer have the field advantage. In fact, we we have to look sideways. Can I say that? Can I do this? Does my faith matter? Once upon a time, if you had a faith, you would still be supported in school at home in your workplace. Even if people didn't agree, you'd still be heard out. You'd still be respected enough to be heard. There was once upon a time where our parents and our grandparents would go to Sunday school because it was where you received the, the fundamentals of our faith, where you learnt the Word. There was a time where Bible was taught in schools, where children would grow up learning biblical principles in their home, where they would pray before dinner. Yet we have laid the majority of it on the altar because it's easier to submit to the culture around us than to pick up our cross daily. How many people do we know that have given up the good fight? And so the question becomes, how do we survive with this decay that we see in culture? And Paul answers so beautifully in the text. Paul's answer is to teach the Lordship of Christ. The world is trying to tell us how we should be, yet Paul is reminding us of whose we already are. When you are in Christ, your identity is sealed. It means I don't have to strive. I don't have to want for anything. I don't have to perform. I don't have to work out who I am because I know whose I am. Because Christ has already said who I am. And so Colossians 1, it carries on in verses 19 and 20. And it says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Through Jesus, it says, he has reconciled to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven. How? By making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Here's the thing. Many of us know what it is to have Jesus as our saviour. I used to have a poster in my room, which I still think about all the time. It was a picture of a needle, and it would say, a a blood donor saved my life. And in the background was a cross. Kind of cheesy, but beautiful, you know? 
And here's the thing. Many of us know what it is to have Jesus as our saviour. Yet many of us are less inclined to make him the Lord of our life. And there is a clear difference, by the way. Saviour is, you know, he saved me. He set me free by what he did on the cross. By his blood, I'm, I'm free. I'm a son. But when he's Lord, it means he's the leading authority on how I should live my life. Culture can stick it. And so often when we pray and invite others into relationship with Jesus, we say, you know, I make you the Savior and the Lord of my life. But I wonder what the church would look like if, as Christians, we, we really did pick up our cross. If we made him the Lord of our life, truly. Which, mean, which means count, counting the cost. What does it cost to follow him? It may mean our friends reject us. It may mean our colleagues at work might think we're kind of lame. There's a risk to it, right? Counting the cost, the cost of favor of the world. Let's say that's a big one. Yet Paul understood that without Christ, we're nothing. That all all our hope is in him. All our hope. That word all. He's our all. He points to Jesus. Make him Lord of your life. Even when I don't understand. Even when culture tells me something contrary. I'll trust and obey your word, Lord. And he signs off the last part of the letter. Saying this. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh. Actually, before I carry on, I rejoice in my sufferings. Man, this guy was shipwrecked twice, in prison like three times. He was flogged 39, 40 lashes like four times. This guy shouldn't be alive for how much of a beating he took for his faith. He has the audacity to say, now I rejoice in my sufferings. And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And then he says, For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. If I could grab the keys up. In a world of shifting culture where the goalposts are forever shifting further and further away, quite a similar time to what Paul's writing about similar things. Where culture's becoming more and more secular, where being different isn't just accepted but encouraged, where we are taught to express ourselves however we feel, where anything goes, where you can even choose your gender, your identity. How do we stay grounded? Christ in us, the hope of glory. We make him the Lord of our life, not just the Savior, but the Lord. And it means something. This is probably the real kicker. It means reading the word of God. 
It means following and, and obeying the truths that we read in here. It means laying your life down for Jesus. It means picking up your cross. It means saying no to your boyfriend when he wants to have sex with you. It means surrendering your way of living for this higher standard of living the Word talks about. Jesus is calling us into a deeper life of intimacy with Him, where we find all our purpose that we need in Him. I don't look for the approval in others anymore. I don't care about the way I look. I don't care that my hair's bushy as anything right now. <laughs> Jesus is the Lord of my life. And His Word is all that matters. And here's the promise at, at the end of it all. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all of these things will be added to you. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness for they will be filled. Lord, we just thank you for your word tonight. We thank you that your word is true. That your promises, like your word says, are yes and amen. Lord, we choose not just to accept you as the saviour of our life. Lord, even right now, I want to rededicate my life. Make you Lord. I make you Lord of my life. That you would lead me, you would guide me, that I would live according to your word, your principles, your, your standard, no matter what's being said around me. Thank you that it's you and us, Christ in us, the hope of glory. On our own, it'd be a pretty stink effort. But with you, Christ in us, the hope of glory. I feel like there might be people in this room who maybe want to rededicate their life to the Lord tonight have said, you know, I've, I've lived for a long time doing my own thing. I haven't lived according to the standard that you set out in your word, Lord. I haven't accepted your truths. I haven't obeyed you when you said. If there's anyone in the room tonight who wants to make Jesus Lord of their life, just with every eye closed, we could all close our eyes just as a sign of respect. If that's anyone, you want to make Jesus the Lord of your life. I'd love if you could just slip up your hand real quick. Awesome. Awesome. A couple of people. Is there anyone else? put up my hand 
Sometimes we can veer off course. But Jesus, I rededicate you as Lord of my life. And if there's anyone in the room who has never made a decision for Jesus before, now I tell you, there is, it's the best decision that you can ever make. Check out this from his word. It says, I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, angels or demons, neither our fears for today or our worries for tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. The love that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. There's anyone that wants to make a decision for Jesus tonight and say, I want to follow him. We're already going to pray for those two people that are rededicating. But if there's anyone that wants to make that first time decision for Jesus, I'd just love with every eye closed if you could just slip up your hand. For God so loved the world that he gave us one and only son. Whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. If that's you, you want that everlasting life. All you do is just say yes to him. Just a couple more seconds if there's anyone here. Awesome. Right, we're going to pray this together, a prayer of, of commitment. Let's say this together. Dear Jesus, thank you for dying for me. I make you Lord and Savior of my life. I give you my whole being. Help me to live the good Christian life. From this day on, I will follow you forever. In Jesus' name. Let's clap for those two people that have made that commitment for Jesus.